Hello, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. November. It's the time in Canada when we remember and honor our war dead. The stories of veterans told through the mainstream media again remind us that military might can deliver a free world. Veterans repeat the words, never again, as they struggle to overcome lifelong nightmares of violence. While at the same time, new recruits will sign on to serve in some present or future conflict. In the middle of all of this sits the silent and ignored elephant in the fragile china shop of forgiveness. Can a soldier forgive an enemy who robbed his ability to walk? Or the country's leader who sent him into conflict? Can institutions be forgiven? Are there times when one does not forgive? We're going to tackle all these questions and more with our guests today. I'm honored to have two guests join me at the microphone today. Marina Cantacuzino is the founder of The Forgiveness Project. Its website says The Forgiveness Project is a UK-based charity that uses storytelling to explore how ideas around forgiveness, reconciliation, and conflict resolution can be used to impact positively on people's lives through the personal testimonies of both victims and perpetrators of crime and violence. Wilma Dirksen is an author, speaker, and educator on the topic of forgiveness. Her 13-year-old daughter Candace was found murdered in 1984 after a lengthy missing person search. After 26 years of toiling away helping victims of crime find forgiveness, justice, and peace, Wilma launched Candace House in 2013. Located near the Law Courts building in Winnipeg, Candace House provides a refuge for victims of crime as they give and hear testimony in the courts. To do justice to our topic today, we'll be breaking up the program into two parts, starting with part one. Welcome to you both, Wilma and Marina. Thank you, Dan. Hello, thank you. Most people would understand forgiveness as having its origins in religion. Marina, you seem to come at forgiveness from an intentionally secular perspective. Well, I think when I started collecting the stories in 2003 and founded the organisation, The Forgiveness Project, um, it became very clear to me that there wasn't very much out there um, in the media, on, on the internet, or generally organisations or institutions that worked with forgiveness that were secular. Um, if you Google forgiveness images, for instance, everything that comes up will be doves, crosses and hearts. And I really felt that while that was, I'm not criticising that at all, but I felt there was a place for something that was what I used to describe as grittily secular. Now, the reason I say used to is that when I look at the bank of stories that in the 10 years that we've collected, most people, stories that we've collected by accident, I mean, I haven't looked for um, people who have come from a religious faith necessarily, but it does appear that people who are able to articulate their forgiveness journeys do have some kind of faith, not necessarily Christian, but they, but faith is definitely... It seems critical in the journey of forgiveness in many cases, certainly not all. I wouldn't like to ever say that. Um, but it's, that's been quite interesting for me. Wilma, your experience with forgiveness is rooted in religious belief and deeply spiritual values. Can you imagine forgiveness without religious faith? Well, my experience is rooted in faith, but uh, I've come to believe that um, 
Uh, forgiveness is, is necessary. I mean, even it's research actually show, shows that um, chimpanzees forgive. We have to forgive. In order for the community to continue, we're forgiving constantly. You know, the neighbor whose leaves are coming into our lawn, you know, we're, we're, we have to forgive, and those that can't often land up in prison. So I think forgiveness on that level is, is just the oil that keeps the community running. I think after that you get into more serious crimes, and there I think there has to be a faith. But I think it can be as simple as what goes around comes around, or the faith in, in an institution, or the faith in a belief of some sort. I think, though, that when you have very serious crimes, you do need to go into more of a higher power and a more severe what I'm calling is a severe kind of forgiveness in, in that uh, it, it has to really go beyond, that you can have a place, and this is probably where I started, where we, uh, when I couldn't forgive emotionally or humanly or even practically, I had a place where I could deposit my unforgiveness for a bit. So the higher power is really important in facing some of the big extreme issues. In my introduction, I talked about a soldier who may have suffered grievous injury by an anonymous enemy. Does one need an apology, a confession, or expression of regret prior to offering forgiveness? No, I don't think so. Um, I think in my own experience and in my own definition, I had to realize very quickly that there was no resolution in our case. We, we didn't know who had killed our daughter for 22 years, and yet I knew that I needed the freedom that is promised in forgiveness. So we moved towards that and, and realized forgiveness without any expression, and we will never probably have any expression of remorse or grief, yet we, we feel we can forgive and, and that, we, that we're in the process of forgiving. I think it's entirely personal, so there are many people like Wilma who will believe it's not dependent on apology, but there are equally those who would describe that more as letting go and who believe that forgiveness is like a, a moral contractual relationship between self and other and that it is entirely dependent on remorse and apology and that without it, it's not really forgiveness. But I've, there are many stories um, that I've collected over the years where people say, if I wait for that apology, if I wait for remorse, I'm putting the power in the wrong hands and I'm still inextricably linked to the offender and that forgiveness for them is an act of self-healing. And some people would call forgiveness without apology incomplete or, or even easy forgiveness. This Norman Kemba, whose story we've collected, who was a hostage in Iraq, he calls his forgiveness of those who hurt him, harmed him, and actually killed one of his fellow hostages, um, easy forgiveness. He said, difficult forgiveness would be for me to get on the plane and go and find my captor in prison and be able to have reconciliation with him and be able to make sure that he would have some restitution and reparation. In cases where you know the offender personally, does forgiveness require or imply an ongoing relationship with that person, or does forgiveness free you from continuing to relate to that person, Marina? Well, I think probably either to that question. Um, forgiveness could repair a broken relationship, and it is very much the oil of a of bringing communities together, but also the oil of personal relationships, I think. But equally, I think you can forgive and walk away. So in an abusive relationship, for instance, it's perfectly possible 
to forgive, which, which requires a degree of understanding and empathy and compassion. But to know to have compassion for yourself as well means you have to leave that relationship. Wilma, in your case, the justice system keeps you bumping up against your uh, mm-hmm. oppressor or your offender. Yeah. I think the, uh, there is a victim-offender trauma bond that whether they are in your face or whether they've moved on or whether they are not remorseful, you're still, you're still in, in a kind of a, a crazy, um, jerking back-and-forth relationship with the offender that needs to be re- resolved. I don't think you can just walk away and say it doesn't matter. It does matter. And forgiveness begins with a with an understanding of the issues and a judgment of those issues. You can't forgive somebody that has that you feel hasn't hurt you or that you still continue to minimize. It has to start from the heart. So whatever you call your heart, you can't call it um, molestation when in your heart you call it rape. You know, you have to have that authenticity. But I think that in the long run, you can have a resolution with a person which could mean a deep friendship and love or it could mean walking away. But there has to be some kind of understanding and resolution and a, and a kind of contract of what the, the behavior will be and what kind of state that relationship would, will look like in the future. Is it possible to forgive something that happened in a previous generation or when the offender has perhaps already passed on? Wilma? I think so. I think that actually most of our lives we live in imagination. We only live now in the moment. Other than that, the past is all in our minds and and the future is all in our minds. So our minds are incredibly strong and powerful places that can can create, um, recreate and create. And uh, so I've heard of so many cases where people have died, the parents have died, who have really abused the children. And the children can go back to that place and talk to the parent and, and resolve the issues in their mind, which is where it needs to happen to begin with, if it can't happen in real life. Yes, I think so. Um, and again, there are people who would say you can't. Um, but it is such a personal thing. And if forgiveness is not allowing the pain of the past dictate the path of the future, and if it's about taking hold of painful emotions and deciding to let them go, um, and it's if it's about thinking not only why me, but also why you, I think absolutely it can happen at any point in someone's life, and certainly if someone has, has died or hurt them in the past. Is it possible to forgive an institution, say a church, an employer, government? I definitely think that um, forgiving is about um, forgiving the enemy, whatever that form is, whether it's an institution, whether it's a person, or, or whether it's a family member. Like, and, and to remember that when we have an enemy, it is a serious, it is a life-taking energy, a life-taking person who can kill us who can kill our spirit or who can kill our body. So it is serious. But I think that enemy can take on various forms. I, I think the most difficult thing to forgive is unresolved injustice. And often that might be an institution or an administration. Um, it's difficult because there's no one person very often. It's uh, multiple people or faceless people possibly. However, it is certainly possible and in many cases I think desirable because if you sometimes justice is not going to be possible and you'll be waiting forever and I certainly have known people 
who have been caught in some sort of legal battle with some institution and it has ground them down and their families down and it becomes an obsession and it becomes unhelpful to their health. Um, and so forgiveness in that case would be about accepting that life isn't fair, that mm-hmm. we don't always get what we deserve um, and that people mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a case, one of the stories that we collected is a woman whose forgiveness was of the medical authority because her child who died in naturally, they used the organs. It was a big scandal in the 1990s in England. The, the organs were used for experimenting and for research and that didn't come out till much later. And there was a lot of anger and bitterness and upset among the families and she saw this and she decided she didn't, she couldn't go down that path, that it would be so detrimental to her. And she spoke openly, eventually, about forgiveness. And she said because of that, the medical profession weren't offended. Um, they opened the doors to her to have dialogue. Um, so in, I think that's a good example of how actually it can be um, very helpful. Um, forgiveness is a public health tool, I think, that is very often forgotten about. I've asked you some really big questions, Wilma and Marina. Thank you so much for your insights and for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. That completes part one of our two-part series on forgiveness. In December, we'll bring you storyteller Soren Menohawk, who will present the Christmas story from a First Nations perspective. Part two of this conversation on forgiveness will air in January. Join me then for part two. We have over 20,000 listeners of this program. In 2012, Church Matters podcasts were downloaded nearly 6,000 times. We are grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters. Know that you are called, equipped and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.